This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 5, Writing the Unfamiliar. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right. So, <clears throat> there is classic writing advice which states, write what you know. Um, and this is very difficult to follow, as we've talked about in our genres where we are writing mm-hmm. lots of stuff that nobody knows about. I actually wanted to do a podcast this time, though, about writing the unfamiliar, writing things you don't know, but which other people do. In other words, we're not going to talk about writing about strange worlds in this one. I'm going to convince some people they're real. How do you write about having, being in a relationship if you've never been in one of this sort? Or how do you write about being in a location that many of your readers may have been, but you haven't been? Mm-hmm. Um, Dan, before, when, before we start this podcast, you mentioned that the write what you know um, piece of advice is something you kind of have an issue with. Yes. I, I think that that is good advice to a point. But bad advice in general because people interpret it far too broadly. And I think it, when, when people hear write what you know, they think, oh, well, then that means I have to write about, you know, a person who lives in my town and goes to my school and has my job. And no, you know, that would be boring. Then we would never have any science fiction books or fantasy books or anything like that. Um, for example, my books, they're about a teenage sociopath. I am not a sociopath. He works in a mortuary. I have never worked in a mortuary. There's all kinds of unfamiliar elements in that book. But what makes it work is that I took that cool character and that cool idea and found all of the elements with which I am familiar well, and with which I do have experience. Um, John Cleaver is, he's got uh, one sister, is that right? Mm-hmm. He's got one sibling. How many siblings do you have? I have one of each. You have one of each. Okay. Mm. And he comes from a broken home. Um, you, I do not. You do not. So, my goodness, how do you <laughs> how write this? How on earth did I do that? Well, to, for starters, I, I found the points we had in common. You know, for if, if, if you're a teenager in America, pretty much regardless of your family situation, you're going to have some kind of angst stuff in common with other teenagers. You're going to have that sense of isolation and uncertainty that just comes with adolescence. And so finding that as common ground and Mm -hmm. building on that lets you throw all kinds of unfamiliar stuff in there uh, without being too esoteric and unapproachable. Right, Um, I would say that finding them familiar and building upon it is the core of what we do, particularly in science fiction and fantasy, um, where we are writing about these, these you know, places that no one has ever been before. It would be easy to be, get completely unrelatable. Um, and I think you can do the same sort of thing in any sort of situation. Um, but of course, being a writer is all about being able to write, be someone you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's hard to even explain for me how you go about doing that because I've practiced so long. But that's what yeah. this podcast is about. It's yeah. uh, one method that has worked really well for me is extrapolation. Okay. Um, I'm writing about people who are in a very close-knit military organization. Life is on the line regularly. They have a, a brothers-in-arms sort of relationship mm-hmm. that I have never had because I've never been in the military. Now, I say I've never had. I've never had it to that extent. Um, I spent two years as a Mormon missionary, 
in which, uh, you know, I'm thrown together with a guy I've never met before. And the two of us are expected to do, you know, a whole lot of, you know, really hard, really tedious sorts of work um, and not kill each other. <laughs> and a vital and those, aspect of any relationship. And those, well, but those experiences, those experiences I'm able to extrapolate on to some extent to, uh, to deliver part of what's in Schlock Mercenary. I also worked in a corporate environment where I realized towards the end of that, my, my stay there, I realized that my decisions were directly impacting whether friends of mine would still have jobs at the end of the day. Mm. And from that, I was able to extrapolate you know, what does it mean when you have to make a, a life or death decision? Now, obviously, that's, that's not perfect, but extrapolating from what you already know from what, what is similar is a great way to start. Right. Um, if you don't already know something, research is invaluable in this case. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to find out, for example, with my guy coming from a broken home, my parents, you know, have, are happily married and have been forever, and... But I have friends whose parents are divorced, who, um, you know, different kinds of dysfunctionality in a home uh, and just researching online. It's a psychological book. So I read a lot of psychological texts to say, what are the effects? If someone grows up without a mother or without a father, how is that going to affect them? I worry that um, we're kind of just stating the obvious a little too much in this podcast. Um, yes. Doing research, that's mm -hmm. taken for granted. The, the questions that keep buzzing in my head is, how does the, the, what separates the amateur from the master in being able to do this? Um, and I'm trying to break down what I do myself. One thing that's occurred to me is that, um, going back to the podcast where we talked about writing the opposite gender, which is a similar sort of podcast, one of the things I believe that we talked about is um, reinforcing that the person that you're writing, whatever gender they are, is an individual and if you can make them live and breathe as an individual, you can convince the reader that, yes, maybe it's not this way for everyone of that gender, but it's this way for that person, if that makes any sense. Well, and that doing comes that back, with your situations. Yeah, that comes back to one of the very first podcasts we ever did in which uh, Dan quoted somebody, and I don't remember who it was, and said, explain something in great detail, and then explain something else in just a little bit of detail. Yeah. Give us the piece that you know in fantastic detail and convince us. Make this character, for instance, uh, you know, whether you're trying to write a girl and you're a boy, um, and you know a lot about fishing, and she grew up fishing. Right. And she knows fishing cold, and so you can explain that in great detail, and then gloss over some of the things maybe that make her a girl, because she's a fisherman first, and that sort of trick can work. Mm -hmm. Right, um, and I, I, I don't think I can overemphasize this concept because it extrapolates quite well to a lot of what you're doing when you are when you are writing when you're creating this this picture of things that you know you want to feel real even though they aren't and in a lot of ways we've talked about being the stage magician where you're holding up the thing to to, to uh, attract attention while you're not wanting them to pay attention to something else and mm -hmm. that works very well in this situation make the characters real and maybe even though you've never been in the type of relationship they've been in if you can do enough research to find out how it would really be like um, and then mix that with their individuality and then emphasize several aspects of it that are just aspects of their personality not saying this is how it is for everybody. This is how it is for these characters. If we believe they're real, this is going to work. Dan, you had our book of the week this week. Yes. The book of the week this week is 
Mr. Monster by Dan Wells, <gasps> the uh, brilliant and handsome author of I Am Not a Serial Killer. Uh, this is my second book. It came out this week. It is up on Audible now. If you have read my first book, it's about a teenage sociopath who uh, encounters some supernatural menaces and has to break all of his personal rules of conduct in order to stop them. And the second book is pretty much about how hard it is, once you've broken all of your rules, to go back to being a good person again. Um, it's less bloody than the first book, far more disturbing. Uh, this is yeah. the book, uh, when my mother-in-law read the manuscript, she actually secretly called my wife and asked, do you feel safe at home? So that's the kind of book that this is. <laughs> yeah, I, I have never... I have never plowed through a book as frightened as I did through I Am Not a Serial Killer. Um, and that benchmark was blown away by uh, Mr. Monster. I'm not a big fan of horror uh, as a genre. Uh, this doesn't feel like a horror book to me. This feels like the scariest book of the kind that I really love to read genre. Does that make sense? I want to put that on the cover. And I want to steer the conversation back toward the unfamiliar. Audiblepodcast.com okay. slash excuse, 14-day yes. free trial. And a free copy of my book in electronic audio form. So, um, the unfamiliar. Let's talk about the unfamiliar. Let's talk about unfamiliar locations. Um, Dan, you set your book in a place you have never been. Mm -hmm. Is it a real place? It is not a real place. Okay. But in the sense that all little towns of America to a certain point are identical. It is a real place. And what I did for that is I actually, I got my brother and we said, and we, we live in Utah, which has a lot of small towns. And, you know, we've both traveled extensively throughout Midwestern America, which has a lot of small towns. And we just kind of wrote down what were all the major points? You know, what mm -hmm. makes something feel like a small town? Things like everybody knows each other. Um, at least to, to a point. Things like, you know, people don't tend to lock their doors. There's maybe one or two large industries in the town and everybody works for them. You know, little details like that that you can throw into the background and then people will start to believe that it's a real place because mm -hmm. it feels familiar because you've hit all of these kind of archetype archetypal points right yeah if there's an unfamiliar place place that is unfamiliar to you but is familiar to your readers uh, <laughs> it is likely that uh you've got facebook friends with photo albums um who have maybe been to that place mm -hmm. and you know a good exercise for a writer is to look at a photograph of a place and then try and give a textual description of that place in a way that someone who has not seen the photograph is right. now experiencing something well, and, and this kind of comes down to the, the metropolis versus New York question, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, it can be kind of bothersome to find out that the place isn't real. It's much less bothersome when it's a little no-name town. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the, the Alcatraz books, I intentionally didn't set it in any, I just called it the city, which is in a way cheating even more than what you did because I just said, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. it's just a place in America, in suburbia, and I yeah. never mentioned it by name. That's partially because, you know, it, it doesn't doesn't matter to the story. Yeah, and and you call that metropolis. a cheat, but it's very common. Yeah. You know, E.T., mm -hmm. where is E.T. set? Right. It's just a suburb somewhere. Oh, where, where is the Simpsons That's set. the important Isn't part. Isn't it the Simpsons? That yeah, just, the Simpsons, which is Springfield, somewhere. and they never tell you which, which state yeah. it's in. Yeah, the, what I was going to say about Metropolis is that Metropolis doesn't bother me because... 
Uh, it's a superhero comic. It's, you know, right. fictional universe. Um, what bothers me is uh, movies like... Uh, the Taking of Pelham 123 or uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance in which they're set in New York City. Mm -hmm. And my friends who live in New York City tell me, oh, that was so wrong. They got oh, it all yeah. wrong. Why couldn't they have at least tried to walk some of these paths and see <laughs> what was going on? They're making a movie for crying out loud. Somebody right. lives in New York. That mm -hmm. happens a lot. It happens, um, it happens an awful lot. It happens in fiction a lot, too. In fact, there's one, um, one very famous author that, whose books I really like, but I've heard several complaints that the city that they, he set his books in um, drives the people up the wall who live there because nothing's accurate. Um, and so how do you avoid this? Well, I, I guess you can obfuscate, like we said. Um, you can do the put it in the city, but in some cases that just doesn't, doesn't work. If you're not going to anonymize it, yeah. then write the story you want to write, yeah. you know, with the descriptions you want to write, and then find an alpha reader who knows that city and be willing to make some corrections. And yeah. I think mm -hmm. that applies for any of the relationships we've talked about. Mm. You have to be willing to hand it to somebody who knows it better than you know it and and you know respond to respond to the criticism appropriately well and depending on what kind of story you're trying to tell you will need to focus on different aspects of your location mm -hmm. taking a pelham 123 was literally a joke for every new yorker that saw it because the subway system was inconceivably bizarre and had no mm -hmm. relation to actual new york whereas woody allen movies which are set right. in new york we're very, you know, New Yorkers tend to love them because they feel like New York. They feel like this is the city I live in. Part of that is because Taking of Pelham 123 was an action movie and the blocking was far more important. Mm -hmm. And how to get from point A to point B and which streets that would involve and what the traffic would be like was a big deal. And Woody Allen doesn't have to deal with that. For the last part of the podcast, let's, um, let's talk, about, talk about something that I've actually run into a little bit. Um, I just was doodling, starting a little short story, um, and I wanted to make it about an attorney. And I stopped, and I said, man, I cannot make this character sound like an attorney because I am not an attorney and they have their own, their own language. Oh, man. How can you do that? <laughs> Is it the right move for me to say, I'm just not gonna write this in about an attorney? Or what, what do you do? Uh, let me, my dad was an attorney, mm -hmm. okay? My dad sounded like everybody else's dad uh, he was, I mean, he was a Harvard graduate, and yeah. so he used a lot of big words, and he would smack me on the head when my grammar was wrong. Um, but he didn't speak in attorney speak ever, mm -hmm. ever. I mean, I, I remember going to his office. He never spoke in attorney speak. He occasionally referred to clients or contracts mm -hmm. or, you know, liens or things like that. But attorney speak, the contractual language, right. only appeared on paper. And so... If you're going to write about an attorney, write him like a smart person and, yeah, use terms where it touches on what he's doing and don't mm -hmm. worry about it. Well, see, the problem would be with this story is, number one, was it was in viewpoint. It's very different from using a, an attorney. Uh, and if you're in the character's head, number two, it would have involved, you know, part of the day at work. Yeah. You can't get around it when part of the day mm -hmm. is at work. And at that point, I actually, I stopped and said, I can't write this. And the reason I decided it was not because I didn't think I could write it. It was because this would take a major investment on my part the homework. to be able to write this character right. 
And yeah. this story cannot then therefore demand enough of that time for me. So I'm going to stop right now. That may have been the wrong move. The right move may have been just to write the story anyway and then give it to the attorney and say, how far off am I? Am I? Where can I go and research so that I can get these things right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In uh, the serial killer books, I ran into that problem a lot. First of all, and Brandon can attest to this, I cannot for the life of me write a believable policeman or reporter. And it's, it's become the joke of our writing group that they're just abysmally awful. But I also had a mortician and a therapist in the first book. The, uh, first, my first pass at the therapist was wildly unbelievable, and I had to go back and do a lot of research and figure out how therapists actually talk and how a therapy session goes. When I did the mortician, I tried to do some hands-on stuff and tried to do some interviews, and I couldn't because no morticians would talk to me. I think they thought I was writing an expose or something. But what I did is, is just what you suggest. I went ahead and wrote it anyway uh, with what little information I had and just tried to make the people believable and it has turned out well in the end. Uh, morticians who read it now say that it's more or less accurate, so. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and end this here. I've actually gonna, I'm gonna give us our writing prompt. It's going to be a video writing prompt. Oh, uh, we are going to have um, oh, Howard my. put it in the liner notes. Um, it's because this entire podcast, I've been thinking about this little video, um, which cracks <laughs> me up because in a lot of ways we are kind of stating the obvious, though I hope that we gave some good information. So watch what is linked and write your um, prompt based on something you're inspired by in that video. This for has those me of you, yeah, For those of you... Uh, uh, just pulling this down to your yeah. uh, iPhone. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you're going to need to go to writingexcuses.com and pull up the actual web page with you know hyperlinks on it. This involves reading. Yes, you will laugh though, on when stuff. you watch this video. You're out of excuses now. Go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.